Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Sermon Podcast. Sure Foundation is a church located in Brandon, South Dakota, who exists to connect you to Christ and to those around you. This week's sermon is based on Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, the story of the prodigal son. If you'd like more content like this, visit our website at www.surechurch.com. In our short history as a congregation, we have yet to do something called a sermon series. Sermon series typically have a cohesive topic that ties the weeks together. So you come to church one week and you get part of the picture. And then the next week you receive more of that picture. And if you're able to make it to each sermon, you're able to get the complete picture of the whole sermon series. Sermon series are a pretty useful thing. And we'll use them from time to time here at Sure Foundation. This week we're beginning a new sermon series called Reformed. In this series we will have the opportunity to look into the key teachings of the Reformation which took place in the 1500s. Now before your your red flags go up, the teachings that came out of the Reformation were not new teachings. These were not the the invention of a man or or the man leading the Reformation, Martin Luther, nor was it an, an invention of his followers. The truth that came out of the Reformation were merely what was written in Scripture. These weren't new. They were just rediscovered and re-explained. The reason that the Reformation was so important that we are still talking about today is because it re-communicated Scripture's teachings, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, as found in Scripture alone, all through Christ alone. So that will be our roadmap for the next four weeks. Grace alone faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone. Would you agree that we have become an increasingly visual people? (laughs) To be fair, in some ways, humans have always been visual. But this has only grown since the invention of television, movies, and the internet. This means a lot of different things for our culture, but one practical thing that we can take from this is that most times, It's easier to understand something when we can visualize it. This makes illustrations helpful and stories even more helpful. For that reason, let's tackle grace alone this morning with a story. Maybe for some of you, an incredibly well-known story. There was a father who had two sons who both lived with him and worked the land with him. The story begins with the younger son coming to the father. He says, Give me my share of the estate. I suppose we can't read tone, but you can tell that it's not posed as a question, is it? It's posed as a demand. So the father divides the inheritance up and gives the younger son his portion. In those days, the older son received the birthright from his father, which meant that he received a double portion of the estate. So, When it came time to split up the inheritance, if there were two sons, the father would split the estate into three sections, and the older son would get two of those sections and the younger son one. So the younger son was given a third of the the inheritance of the older son. He, He took his portion of his inheritance 
and he wasted no time. It says he packed up his things and he left for a distant land. He, he made it infinitely clear that he doesn't want anything to do with his family any longer. He's now going to be able to do all the things that he couldn't do when he lived in his father's house. He's in charge of his own life now. These are going to make, this is going to make things infinitely better. When he gets to this distant country and he finds the place where he's going to stay, our text today says that he first squanders his wealth. This word means that he was a spending machine. <laughs> he took his a third of the inheritance and he went crazy on spending that. It was as if he had never handled money before, which maybe he hadn't. And it says, secondly, that he spent it on wild living. These words indicate that the things that he was spending money on was not so wholesome. He was given into drunkenness, debauchery, and immorality. He had sought after all of the instant pleasures of the world. But it is not too long before his funds ran dry, as you can expect. <laughs> and that was a problem for him. Perhaps that would have been even survivable for him, but at the same time, there is an intense famine in the land where he was once enjoying all the pleasures that this world has to offer. Now he found himself wanting mightily. Life events have converged with a severe famine and with the squandering of his money. Life was not so good anymore. He was in need. In desperation, he, he does find work. He's hired by a citizen in that country, and he is set to tend the pigs. Now, <laughs> at first we hear that and say, well, not the cleanest work, but it's a job nonetheless. But it's important to remember that to the Jews, pigs were unclean animals, which didn't mean that they were just gross. It means that they were considered ceremonially unclean for, for just people being around swine. This youngest son had now sunk to new lows. But he is not quite done yet. The very next verse says that even this job was not able to feed him with what he needs. So he finds himself sitting there desiring to eat the food that the pigs were eating. <laughs> At this point, it may be fair to say that he has hit rock bottom. He thought life away from his father would be better and more enjoyable. He thought that making whatever decision he wanted and living however he wanted would be great. But he had come up empty. So the very next verse says, when he came to his senses, literally when he came to himself, up until this point he had continued to believe that he could make it on his own, that he was still in charge of his own life. But now... He had come to his senses. His life was not good. His decisions led him to coveting pig's food. And now he begins remembering what it was like to be in his father's house. Even the servants in his father's house were better off than he was now. He gets himself to the point where he is convinced to go back to his father's house. But he knows that after all the things that he's done and all the hurt that he's caused, he can't expect to have the same life that he had before he left the household while he was still a son in the household. So he's going to go back to the father 
and ask if he could be one of the servants in his household. Okay, so the son starts walking back. And if you are the son, put yourself in his shoes. And you're walking back to your father's household. What are the thoughts going through your head? You're probably a little scared. Your father has every reason to be upset with you. You'd even admit that. You're just hoping that after the yelling and the scolding is complete, that he'll show you a little compassion. You're probably feeling really nervous and trying to think up ways to convince your father to take you back. Because honestly, you really have nothing of value to offer him. And that makes you even more nervous. The nerves mount as you can see the house. And from the house, your father can see you. When he sees it is you, he runs. That's unheard of. Children ran, soldiers ran, but patriarchs, heads of the household, they didn't typically run. But he's so excited. He's so excited to see his son that he runs. He doesn't even let his son get words out before he is wrapping his arms around him, hugging him, and kissing him. <laughs> Can you imagine the look of surprise on the son's face? This was not exactly how he had this going in his head. And the son even sticks to his plan. You can tell that he's a little uncomfortable. He sticks to his plan to ask his father to be one of his servants. But the father doesn't even seem to acknowledge this request. Instead, he has a fine robe brought for him and draped over his son. He has the family ring put on his finger. And he orders a celebration that would take place immediately. He is so overjoyed at the return of his son. The son had played this out in his head a million times on his walk back to his father's household. But he never imagined this happening. He figured that he'd have to grovel for a while, apologize profusely, and even vow to do certain tasks as payment for the evil he had done. But none of this was the case. He was welcomed back with excitement and open arms. This is one of those sections of scripture that doesn't require all that much explanation because the picture makes it clear. As sinful humans, we search for what we call life in all the wrong places. We convince ourselves that life apart from God may even be better. In our own sinfully twisted way, we rationalize that our way will make us happy. Our way will make our life better. Our way will be more fun. But the truth is that life apart from God is nothing but emptiness. And maybe you've experienced that emptiness of chasing after worldly things in your life. All of our attempts at searching for life apart from God may even leave our life a mess. And we sit in that mess that we have created for ourselves and we quickly realize that there is nothing that I have that I can offer to God. I am a poor, miserable sinner who is unworthy of any sort of blessing. God has no reason to love me or care for me. When you come to your senses... That is, when you recognize that sin has made a mess of your life, when you recognize that life apart from God is empty, and you turn to God, 
you may expect that you would have to do something first, like pay something or commit to something or volunteer something or show a certain amount of regret or, or give a certain amount of offerings. But the picture of this parable shows a God who doesn't react as you'd expect. Your God is a God of grace, who saves through grace alone. And here's the picture of grace. Grace is open arms. There are zero qualifications for grace. Grace is forgiveness that is freely given. Grace is the excitement that the Father feels to have you back, that He runs to you and hugs you. He wraps a beautiful robe around you. He puts the family ring on your finger and welcomes you back as His Son, not as a servant, but as His Son. This grace is freely given, but it wasn't free. We naturally understand that there must be a payment for sin, but no payment that we could come up with would be enough. In our place, Jesus made the payment for sin on the cross. Not because we were worthy, not because we had earned anything, but specifically because He loved us, because He is a God of grace. (laughs) This is the picture of grace. Open arms. Your God's love for you does not go up and down based on your behavior. He knows that you have nothing to offer Him. He knows that you cannot save yourself. So in grace, He sent His Son to live and to die on the cross. On the cross, you see another picture of grace in Christ's open arms stretched wide. (laughs) That is your God. He loves you unconditionally. There is nothing that you could do that God would not forgive. So, (laughs) turn to Him for forgiveness Fall into his loving, open arms. Concepts are definitely best connected in pictures. So when you picture grace, picture your loving father who doesn't require groveling or penance or money, but opens his arms to you and freely gives you grace. Grace that saves. Brothers and sisters, you are saved by grace alone. Amen.